How you guys doing, Chinese Magic family? This is your host, Mark Karaki. Super excited to be bringing you another episode of the podcast. And this week, uh, we have a dam- double whammy uh, session. Uh, our guest uh, is Esther Detti, and Esther comes from both the entrepreneur side and the capital activation side in our ecosystem. And she is emblematic of the quality of talent that we have in Kenya and in Africa at large. So Esther is currently executive director at the EAPEVCA, that's the East Africa Private Equity. That's the East Africa Private Equity and Venture Capital Association. And their mandate is to unlock the uh, private capital that's sitting on the sidelines uh, to participate in private enterprise and supporting pri- private enterprise. Uh, currently, there's about $12 billion locked up in our pension funds that is not participating in um, uh, in, in private enterprise uh, almost at all. And her, their goal as an organization is to grow to grow that and increase that uh, so that entrepreneurs can receive the funding that they need to to do to, to build their companies. But Elsa also Esther also comes from a, a entrepreneurial background. She launched a company uh, with a friend that was on the verge of regional ex- expansion that was growing pretty fast. Uh, until they ran into one of the things that continues to bedevil uh, local startups, and that is founder conflict, co-founder conflict. And uh, she talked a little bit about that on the podcast as well. So this is a double whammy. You'll hear from uh, two sides of of the uh, entrepreneur equation. And so this is a great podcast. Enjoy it. How are you guys doing, Chinamaji family? This is uh, another episode of, uh, of the podcast. And uh, this week we have... Uh, guest who, how would I define you? You kind of are trying to solve our local capital problem from a very high level, from a different angle, and I thought it would be important for people to understand how capital flows in our market. So we have the wonderful Esther Detti, who the work you do is so important, but it's so, in a way, uh, under-celebrated so far, and appreciated and recognized, kind of nobody knows at least as far as the entrepreneurs are concerned, who is our audience, that you exist and the important work that you're doing to activate the ecosystem and, and drive some of the change that we know we need to see here. So, with that said, Esther Detti, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Mark. <laughs> yeah, so um, the way we do this is very kind of conversational. Okay. The idea is to just let people know about uh, what people are doing in the ecosystem in, in terms of enabling startups and, and just... Uh, unlocking the potential that we all know exists here. We've typically hosted entrepreneurs, but also increasingly domain experts and people who are just involved in, in trying to kind of open that, uh, that, uh, that space. So why don't you tell us who you are, you know, I've introduced you by name, but you know, who you are, high school, background. High school. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, start there. Because people like that. People are like, oh, okay, so you know how we relate to each other in terms of where you come from and, and how you got to where you are. So. All right, no, thank you, Mark. Career track, uh, that's kind of the idea. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. I am a fan of your podcast, so I listen to really? it. Thank I think so. Much. Like, I've listened to quite a number, you know, from Mary Mwangi to a bunch of others, really, um, over the past few months. So, you know, thank you for having me on uh, the show today. Um, so, yeah, I said my name is Esther Ndeti. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned high school because we have a high school reunion dinner, dinner tomorrow. So oh, wow. I've, I've been busy looking for my... Can I ask which year, um, which year you remember? Uh, many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know I look young. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so we have the 70s themed, so I'm busy looking for platform boots. Wow. So if anybody knows where insane. to get platform boots, maybe, you know, between today and tomorrow. <laughs> Reach out and I'll pass the information on um, Yeah, let me know. But yes, no, I am born, raised, schooled, everything, uh, most of everything in Kenya. I like to say I'm true East African because I... I went to three high schools. Um, I did the first four years, eight for four, you know, sort of like the KCSC in one school, mm-hmm. um, Pangani girls. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm a Pango girl. <laughs> I think all the best, you know, women out there actually are Pangarians, but yeah. That's, that's a um, strongly held personal opinion. <laughs> 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 yeah, me and a few other thousand women in this town think the same. <laughs> But, uh, yes, so I went to Pango for four years, did my, you know, KCSE there. Um, you know, it, it was a school with very strong personalities, which was fantastic because, you know, you only look in retrospect, right? You're able to navigate that system. We were the biggest girls' school. I think it's still the biggest girls' school to date. Um, so, yeah, you know, we were class, in a class, we were 50 in each class. Wow. Six streams. So every, you know... Um, form had like a 300 students, yeah. Um, the school, so four, four, you know, from one to from four, a hundred and so a thousand two hundred. That's pretty big. I'm sorry about that. The phone goes off right on cue. It happens. I'm so sorry. Let me just turn it off. So yeah, no, we were big, you know, so different personalities from all across um, Kenya as well. Um, just put this off. It's never on sound ever. Um, so, you know, meet people from all over Kenya. We had people from, you know, from Nairobi and from outside Nairobi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this later on, you know, was key in being able to navigate and being able to network and understand people's personalities and being able to sort of like just be gel and, you know, just be able to think broader than sort of like the circumstances that I've been um, forced to, you know, live in um, mm-hmm. up to that point. Expanding your horizons. Absolutely. Situations, backgrounds. Yes, exactly. So then, um, you know, in between the wait, you know, (laughs) KCC results at the time used to take, um, I think, maybe up to four or five months before they would come out. Mm -hmm. Um, KCC for the foreign audience is our national national exam exam. for people Mm -hmm. who are trying, finished high school, moving into university. Yeah. So So it's basically the grade that you need to get into the universities here. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't want to go to university in Kenya. I was hell-bent on going to the United Kingdom, um, yeah. specifically the University of Bristol. Um, they had a fantastic um, course in aeronautics, uh, aeronautical engineering. I had already you know, studied it. I'd looked at sort of like you know, the trajectory of students who go into that course and where they go after that. You know, they're either hired at Airbus or Boeing. Wow. Um, or, <laughs> you know, I was very driven and I knew where I was going to. Wow. Um, so while, while waiting for my 844, I realized that whether I passed or not, um, I would not be eligible to go directly into the University of Bristol um, without sort of like bridging um, into the, you know, the, the UK system, um, the GCE system, right? So I talked to my dad and I told him, um, I'd like to do uh, A-level and to shift from... I know I've done 844, I've finished a KCSC, right. but I want to shift now <laughs> to do the British system. Yeah. So he was, up, he was up for it. He was like, you want more schooling? Great. That's fine. That's an African... Uh, yeah, That's and then I opted to take... Great. And then he was like, what school? And So I need to mention that I'd lived in Tanzania previously. Okay. So and then so I, I opted to go to Uganda for my A level, and he agreed, and he chose a school there. So I just want to mention that I did a year, my year twelve in uh, Uganda, 
Um, and then I opted to do year 13 back in Nairobi, so I came back here. So that's how I ended up doing three schools. Um, so you did a sweet. So you did eight four four in Kenya. Yeah, right? eight four. Yeah. Eight, yeah, the eight for oh, primary, yeah, right. and then the eight, four. And, yeah. <laughs> and then you went to Tanzania for a year. Yeah. No, no, no. Tanzania was before. Just, Tanzania was something oh, okay. just Tanzania. like yeah, back and forth with my Got parents. It. Yeah. Okay. But I did Uganda for a year. Okay. Then I went back to okay. Kenya so for an, yeah, those are the three schools. Yeah. Mm. Um, again, broadened my horizon, met people from across the region. I can't say I'm truly East African because I've lived in Tanzania before, I've schooled in Uganda, I'm Kenyan. Awesome. So, you know, that's um, a bit of the background around um, high school. Right. I should tell you that um, my, <laughs> my KCSE results came. Um, I had done really well. The University of Nairobi sent me a letter saying that they would like me to study mechanical engineering at the university. Um, and then I applied to University of Bristol, I got in, and my dad looked at the fees because the university called me, that means um, I get um, yeah. sort of like a, um, a bit of like a scholarship of sorts, right? Yeah. So the total fees, everything, accommodation, everything, books, everything comes to $250 a year. A year? Wow. And then University of Bristol was something like 30,000 pounds a year. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So my dad was like, "Not a difficult choice here." I love, and he did that. He did that. So he did this. Yeah, I, I'll never forget. <laughs> so that's how I found myself at the University of Nairobi studying mechanical engineering. Oh, man, that's so. So how did you feel? <laughs> For the first year, I would say I was a very. Um, yes, yes, I was very unhappy. I spent once I realized actually when I started doing the classes in first year. I realized, because in A-level, I did three subjects. I did physics, chemistry, and math. Okay. Um, and in advanced uh, levels of all three, right? Mm -hmm. So when I joined university, the first year was all the units I'd done in A-level, mm -hmm. around physics, chem, so organic chemistry, physics, um, you know, <laughs> and the math, uh, you know, everything. Like, everything I'd done in the two years was being done in year one of the university. So not only was I not in the university, I don't <laughs> but I'm doing the same thing that I'd done, you know, pri prior to that, right? So I was very unhappy, but I also spent a lot of time trying to see how I could get a scholarship into either the University of Bristol or another university that, was, you know, does has aeronautical engineering. So I spent a lot of time out of class just trying to get a scholarship, which I got a partial scholarship somewhere, and but my dad was like, Still, yeah, two hundred and fifty dollars, right? Yeah, um, but no, uh, and then you know things, and I believe this strongly. I think things happen for a reason. You never see it then, uh, but then you know, I'm, I'm now. I say I'm happy. I went to the University of Nairobi. The people I met, the lectures I had, everything I did there. Um, you know the clubs and associations I joined when I was there, you know, fantastic experience and, you know, that's now, now I'm here. Right. Yeah. So, so after a while, after your first year, the ice shelf kind of started to thaw out and you kind of started to enjoy yourself a little bit or at least bed into the environment? Yeah. Well, let's say I got used to it and then I was able to also make good connections um, as well that were able to sort of like reroute and tell me, okay, now you're here, you might as well might focus as well. here right. and, you know, put your 100 show up because um, you're here, you know, the, this Bristol business, you need to maybe think about it for your masters, but now you're at the University of Nairobi, you know, just right. focus. And then also I joined a group called ISEC um, at the John time. Yes, we that's what. We actually have quite a few ISEC people. I know you mentioned it before and I was smiling. I was yeah. like, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, things like that, um, you know, uh, I, I was plugged into so many different, like, activities as well. So I, I was able to sort of, like, balance out and just be happy where I was. That's yeah. right. And so... <clears throat> I guess fast forward to 
now career path graduation, you know, how did you end up at EAVCA, which is East African Venture Capital Association? Is yeah. that what it is? So it's actually East Africa Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, but you see how that is a mouthful. Nice. <laughs> you, can't, you can't make it. It, it, that would be like EAP, so we say EABCA. Somebody on a comedy show called some other. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so, yes. Um, when, and why I mentioned ISEC was because some of the programs I participated in or sort of like ran or was a part of um, had a lot to do with entrepreneurship. Uh, so, we ran this program I remember called the uh, Yes, which was Young Entrepreneurs. Uh, young entrepreneurs, the S at the end, right? Um, where we partnered up uh, with, you know, we got funding from like KCB Foundation, for instance, uh, and had a few other partners to sort of like grow entrepreneurs um, from different parts of Nairobi and give them skills to sort of like think about <coughs> entrepreneurship and give them skills to sort of like grow it into some business of sorts. Mm. So we're doing this already at the... Um, at university level, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, it was such a successful program, in my opinion, really. Mm -hmm. um, and then this also exposed me to sort of like, what other career paths can you think about? Because what I'd seen at the university is that you study, so like in mechanical engineering, it was very standard, right? You finish your five years at the university, you join Kenya Airways, EABL, sort of like some of these big... Five um, companies you could do. Um, or, you know, Kenya Pipeline or whatever it is, right? right? And then you join and you become this little cog in the wheel and, right. you know, it, right. you know, and, and that was never going to be me. That was just, you know, I, I, the more I participated, the more I learned about entrepreneurship and building your own initiatives and things right. like that, right. the more I knew I couldn't be in a position where I didn't have autonomy over decisions or over the work that I'm doing. Right. Right. I couldn't be a small piece. Unfortunately, I'm not that person. I right. Right. You know, and I'm not saying employees of these organizations are sort of like small pieces or whatever it is. It's just that my nature and personality, the more I learned about it, is that I learned, I I want to create things. I want to do things. I want to build and fail and try again and not have to have the weight of a company sort of like success and that is not mine, you know. Right. You know. Right. So, so, you, you, so, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I can totally relate to that because um, that is the struggle for a lot of people, um, uh, maybe a minority of people, right? This idea that I want to be out here creating things and being part of that creative process, but mm. now I'm being kind of, you know, the whole story about how you create a career and a life is this notion that you have to fit into this big structure and kind of that's the holy grail. That's what yeah. you've been promised. That's what we've been taught. That's what from the very beginning, from primary school right. into high school, it's all about... You know, let's you know pass your exam yeah. so you can get a good job, yeah. for instance. But then the experiences I had, particularly when I was in ISEC, exposed me to so much more. Mm. Um, that was one, two. We were, you know, you'd have to raise money for these programs that you were running. So we'd have to learn how to make presentations, proposals, awesome. how to do networking, and all of the none of the things that I learned during my engineering degree. But they right. came in handy, like no one's business, right? right? right. This extra set of soft skills, mm. and I knew I had to apply them. So if you look at my sort of like my career. Path. It really doesn't have any sort of uh, traditional, um, you know, path that mm -hmm. everybody else sort of like followed, right? Mm -hmm. I tried, um, so I like to say I'm a recovering entrepreneur. <laughs> uh, so I tried to do a few businesses here and there. Um, some failed because of um, lack of sufficient knowledge and business processes and mm -hmm. sort of like financials of businesses and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm the first one to say that. Um, you know, I went in, I have a degree in mechanical engineering, I'm the smartest yes. person on earth. <laughs> 
oh yes i am not and i do a lot of um, talks with um, um, you know technical founders people who have engineering backgrounds you know uh, and the role of how you should probably incorporate somebody people who are good in marketing people who are good in from business schools or whatever it is because a business is not the idea that you have in your head right or the concept that you have or even the product you produce uh, the business is now how you take this to market and grow it you know to a proper proper business yeah yeah i mean yeah this it's amazing that you so most people that is one of the biggest struggles for entrepreneurs in general specifically technical founders this is not in just a local problem mm. this is a global well, where i kind of learned my stuff yeah. uh, there's a there's a there's a firm a vc firm and you probably know about andreson horowitz mm. they pioneered this notion of uh, creating a support platform infrastructure people right in their vc fund mm. to enable technical founders to do those things right yeah. to learn the business around the idea absolutely right? and so for me when when i, I have when i saw that and i kind of was exposed to that i was just like wow this is this is amazing and their whole thing was how do we keep technical founders from being fired by vcs because they are messing up the business <laughs> but anyway i digress so yeah. i guess my point is that's significantly insightful and i think it comes from your own personal experience yeah. as a technical founder you felt that i got this man like um, i'm an engineer back off and you know and an engineer who would done proposals okay. who done you know so i was like i got this like there's nothing new you're teaching me man i learned quickly that there's so much more to building a business than uh, sort of like the things that i thought at the time right mm-hmm. if i could go back you know there's so much things i would tell my younger self but anyway you know mm-hmm. life is you know to learn yeah, <laughs> to yeah. make mistakes because at the end of the day it's there's still the future yeah. that you can still take those experiences into absolutely my whole thing is that in our market uh, there are people like yourself who um, will be valuable and even i know a, a friend of mine who was actually at a startup for many for a few years after high school um, and then now she's being recruited to lead another startup that's growing and those skills port very well mm. so my guess my point is people like yourself are the ones who will probably grow the companies that will scale out of Nairobi into Africa. That's just how I see it because mm-hmm. you have this superpower of you've done some stuff already as an entrepreneur, you've learned from those processes, you appreciate that mm-hmm. you know, I don't know everything, but you're still, you know, you still have that ability to grow things. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about people like yourself in this market. Good, I'm excited about people like myself too. <laughs> so, you know, so I'll skip through sort of like a number of those um you know failures that i did the, and I spoke about the, maybe the last I, honestly I, I, i do and i i embrace them and i speak about so there's a there's a there's um, a there's a forum called the fuck up nights um, that's held by one of the uh, spaces in nairobi and i i go there and i speak about them like like i pride, proudly talk about my failures but but i talk about them why i talk about them proudly is because that's why i grew from exactly. how you sort of like how you treat your downsides or treat your bad periods and how what you learn from them is how you grow right so yeah i embrace them i'm like well, i'm a failure i'm a recovering entrepreneur <laughs> whatever it is <laughs> It's because to find out. I think it's this this is for me this is I'm not saying yeah. don't talk about them. Yeah. That's great. Don't because, call them failures is what you're saying. Yeah, fail, what does failure it's a, <laughs> this is a journey. Yeah. Right? So here's what I've learned. Yeah. Right? The things that I went through at a certain point in time, the experiences, they tend to serve you down the road. Right? Yeah. Because you're like they give you this kind of maybe a jigsaw puzzle 
yeah. who you become yeah. and what you're able to do. Yeah. So if you just look at things as, as experiences as finite boxed things, then you can see them. That's well. because we've been taught that failure is a finale, like a final point. I believe in failure as part of the journey. So when I say it was a failure, it doesn't mean life stopped there or I stopped. And you can have this whole conversation for a very long time. Let's move forward. Let's move. <laughs> so yeah, so I'll just fast forward to sort of like the part that sort of like really made me move into sort of like this ecosystem level. So I had co-founded a business. Um, I won't mention the name of the business because Why? Um, we'll talk about that one day. Hmm. So I co-founded a business. Um, and it picked off really fast, really well. Mm. Um, this was what business number what in your, in your career? I think it was the third. Okay. Yeah. But maybe the first, that proper, everything laid down properly. Okay. You know, we know That's our growth is. plan, everything, you know, mm -hmm. sort of like have our marketing check, you know, already. By the time we were rolling out, we had like, you know, uh, customers across the region, not just in wow. one place, you know. Wow. It, was, it was really well thought out. So we had a good really supplier, um, me and my former co-founder. Yes, okay. and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why, yeah, why I've said it like that, okay. right? Um, so yes, so <laughs> and then he was a co-founder but was working um, full-time somewhere. So how are you co-founder uh, full-time somewhere? What which is fine, it worked fine for me because remember I have a, I like to manage and do things and run around. Are you a control freak? No. no. <laughs> I am no freak whatsoever. But you like to own the process. Yeah, and I was like, I like to get things done. Um, awesome. No, but he was extremely, you know, he did a lot. Um, yeah. His his skills were really on sort of like when we're doing strategy plan and things like that. We'd work to know. Yeah, okay. it was very complimentary. Okay. Really grind things through through the night, okay. and then awesome. You know, and then he'd go off to the office, and then so there was I'd, real material input. Oh. Yes. Awesome. That's no. great. That makes no. sense. Yes, like significant, you know. Great. So we share, we owned the business 50-50 until today. I'm like, now, and I talk to co-founders, I'm making sure. I always ask, are you 50-50? Because no, sometimes 50%, that becomes a challenge down the line so at some point. Um, so anyway, um, then about, I think it was a year and a half later, maybe two years, going to the second year, um, you know, Business is picking. We start having divergent views on sort of like how to grow. When like we have a growth plan, we have you know, strategy document. We have we have everything. Let's. I'm you know passionate about growing organically. You know just you know. And he had a divergent view. Um, decided to resign his from his place of work. Um, got a got a huge um, package, uh, severance package, mm -hmm. and then you know, started having challenges about uh, capital input and things like that. Anyway, we started really having big fights. So you had um, founder dilemma issues. Founder dilemma you issues. Book, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I was extremely surprised and taken aback, like, you know, because we've been really, like, you know, at par on everything up to that point. And then everything just started falling apart. Now, because we didn't agree on sort of like how we're moving forward, um, checks were not getting signed. You know, when you have an agreement where both your signatures need to be there before anything is approved or what, you know, so many things started happening that were now literally grinding the business to coming to a halt. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was back and forth. And then suddenly at some point, um, I saw a lawyer show up. Um, calling himself a company lawyer. I'm like, I know the company lawyer. Who yeah, the hell are you? <laughs> Who the hell are you? And wow. it just, from there, it just went south completely. Um, so yeah, uh, that for me was a really painful experience. Um, but then because 
It didn't seem like we were going anywhere with this. Um, mm. I think I chose, I would just have to exit the business. Mm. At that point, uh, I got my own lawyer. The lawyers talked, talked it out and sort of like found ways to sort of like split our assets and everything. And, you know, he was left with the business. Um, and I was extremely upset and I didn't talk to him again wow. after that. What a, so, so, um, so, 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 so before you continue, so this is such a underrated, underestimated thing. <clears throat> you know, you meet young people who have entrepreneurial ambitions and they go, always, always, and underestimate this issue here of how do we resolve conflict, how do we actually deal with this ownership, um, best practices around vesting, right, as opposed to kind of, like you said, 50-50 is, is an issue. Um, how do you deal with that stuff? Yeah. And, and these are the things that kill businesses that, you know, there's statistics out, out there that says 65, 65% of the reason startups fail is uh, people issues. Yeah. 65%. Absolutely. Right? So it's not even about the market. It's not, it's not it. And, and the, other, the other thing is timing. But I didn't know this about you. And I have a completely different view <laughs> of, of you now, which I am so glad that now you... Because I'm so glad you're on the podcast because our people will relate to, to your story and you have so much to give. Anyway... So what, what happened next? Okay, so I, at this point, I don't say many things. One of the things I, at that point, I realized um, during my frustration was I, I didn't understand where, because one of the biggest arguments was sort of like um, capital, right? Um, I didn't completely understand where to get capital to grow the business to the next level, mm, right? Mm. Um, like many Kenyans, and that's a true fact to date, mm. uh, when you need money, where do you go? Friends, family. And then? When you need bank. real man, bank. So of course, I turned up at the bank. <laughs> Hello, my name is Esther Detti, and I need XYZ million shillings. Um, and this is my business plan. This is the sales we've made so far. This is the growth plan. And, you know, they're like, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, I, I don't have collateral, not for the kind of money I was looking for, right? Yeah. I have no proper track record. I have no, you know, it, it's, in fact, if you go back to sort of like the two other businesses I tried, like, man, I am no candidate whatsoever for any financing. From, from, from financing. Yeah, and I'm coming to them at a point when I'm in conflict as well, right? Whoa. So even if they were to call up my co-founder, you know, you it's not it's probably not going to be, yeah, it's probably not going to be the best place for me to be, you know, looking. So I realized that was one of my key problems. And I, I'm not the only one. You know, I was talking to a few other people inside businesses around me. And they're like, yeah, too bad. <laughs> or why don't you... So you, you <laughs> I just Google, maybe there's a grant somewhere or something. You know, I didn't understand the deal, the, the capital side, investment space, nothing. I, I didn't really grasp it, you know. You know, that's humbling for someone who thinks they know a lot, right? So, yeah, so I just wanted to mention that. What year was this? What period was this? This is, uh, what year are we now? This is close to, so I have an eight-year-old daughter. She's turning nine. And I remember saying at the time that, you know, I have two babies. 
Yeah. Ah, so okay. I had that baby and I had, so, you know, so it's about eight. Yeah, it's about 2012. Yeah. 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 And that's a very kind of like, it's an early time in our ecosystem, right? It was just starting to be. Especially for the early stage entrepreneurship totally. space side. Yeah. Right. Um, more established businesses had been there for a long yeah, time. Yeah, you know, stuff. they source capital from different places, you know, things yeah, like that. Right. right. Yeah. 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 It was kind of there. Yeah. Right. I think I actually wrote to one of the people. <laughs> I'm not sure, I can't remember, but I know I wrote to the wrong people. I showed up in the wrong offices. I just didn't understand who, what I was offering or what I was trying to look for at the time. Um, so fascinating. So, so, so let's, let's kind of, let me interject here a little bit and, and, and maybe just pose this as a question. How many good people and opportunities and ideas fail because of this in our market? Several. Many. What percentage? What would you say? I wouldn't. Uh, I can't put a number to it, but I'll tell you it's on the majority side for sure. Yeah. 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 And this is why you'll see. I mentioned earlier. I do a lot of like talks and right, I right, plug right. in myself to any sort of like groups of you know, idea making. Uh, you know, whatever it is, ideation groups or whatever it is, um, mm-hmm. startup sectors or whatever. I try to impart as much knowledge or open up my network if possible, yeah. um, because of that. Yeah. You know what? This this is this is what we do the podcast. Right? Because at the end of the day, it's like, why should people repeat the mistakes, experiences that others have made or we have made, right? Yeah. People should learn from each other. And that is the purpose of this. And so, yeah, it's great to have you. So continue. So now business has fallen apart. So before I move to the next part, because the next mm-hmm. step explains how I got to the EABCA okay. mm-hmm. and sort of like now, you know, right. my, my, my path right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something you mentioned with regards to sort of like conflict management and whatever being a key part of skills that people need to build in this market. market. Right. If there's anything I regret in this, this uh, in my life, mm-hmm. it's the fact that, you know, I walked away, I closed that door for my co-founder and never spoke to him again. Wow. I truly wish I could go back and learn how to have dealt with that. I would still probably leave the business, but not leave in such a way. Because what happened in the end is my co-founder died this year. He passed away. Um, actually, he passed away on my daughter's birthday. Wow. Like in surgery somewhere out of the country. And all I could think about was, was it worth it? You know? Like, was it worth it? Because before the business, before everything, we were very good friends. Right. We were very good friends. We were able to bounce a lot of ideas um, um, between each other and, you know, be able to create a business together. So, you know, I don't think it was worth it at all in terms of the conflicts not being solved. Like, we should have found a way to, yeah. you know. You know, I, I, this is one of the things that I kind of like, okay, may, may, let's, let's begin this a little bit. So when you go back and you look at the issues, right? When you look at the issues in the business at the time, hmm. uh, were they resolvable? What, 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 if you had it to do all over again, how would I wouldn't, you? I wouldn't know because I think I know myself very okay. sort of hell bent and yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, okay, as I grow older, I've learned how to sort of like take more input and listen, do yeah. a bit more research, right. and be more flexible. Okay. Uh, um, but then I was not me right now, right? So I would still be very stubborn in terms of my approach. He was also very stubborn in his approach. Um, so I'm not sure we'd be able to resolve. Did you have a board? Did you have advisors? We didn't have a board. So yes, we, again, you know, so we thought we had all the structures in place. We had, we had advisors, but not like formally, right? You had people we talked to on the side who, of course, now take sides, right? We right, <laughs> have right, an issue right, like right, this. Right, right. Depends. You know, this, is, this is so interesting because there's this one gentleman in Silicon Valley who passed away recently. His name is Bill Campbell. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of Bill Campbell. 
No. So Joe Campbell was the coach to Steve Jobs, coach to Eric Schmidt, coach mm. to uh, Ben Horowitz. Like, like this guy was a mentor to some of the industry titans that we know today. Okay. And helped resolve a lot of the issues that existed because some of some of these people on each other's boards, so when Apple and Google started their conflict thing, mm. there's this other story that he kind of helped uh, mitigate some of those things and the relationships and so on and so forth. The point I'm getting at is this is this is a life thing, right? Having somebody who both of you respect maybe, who can help to kind of guide. But in hindsight, it's 2020. I'm just kind of relating it to, I guess my point being is it's, it's not just a problem that you guys face, it's a problem that everybody yeah. faces yeah. right no but they how. have they have this coach person right so these are things i think that need to be cultivated and really adopted in our market here mm. um you know because remember i mentioned the the fuck up night that yeah. i um, i participated in mm. that night we were i think four or five speakers not by design each of us our story was about a fallout with a co-founder there you go so <laughs> each this, and every one of us this is this is I fundamentally <laughs> I know this is this is built into the issues that are a lot of, a lot of the reasons why companies don't make it out. Mm. Layering on top of that lack of experience. This is a lack of experience, lack of know-how thing, lack of just you know and when we structured when we when I structured what we do here in Bat Africa Network, I have spent a long time thinking about how do you plan for that? How do you create structures that create alignment? Mm. Because I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs as I was kind of doing my process of looking to figure out how do we enable entrepreneurship. And every single time, you can see that blood in the water, right? Five co-founders, all of them, you know, just mm. issues. Anyway, I, I'm just, <laughs> this is crazy, but go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that. I think mm. it's important to just, you know, I try to share that story just so that the co-founders out there, they can start thinking about these things um, well in advance. Not that you're planning to have conflict or anything, but it will happen. <laughs> it will happen. It will either make you or break you. Um, but then there has to be sort of like systems or structures or some sort of solution sort of like deal with that. Yeah, um, conflict resolution plan. Yeah, A structure absolutely. that allows people like from the beginning, you yeah. know, here's how we make decisions, here's who. We have a board if possible. We have coaches and whatever it is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe, I don't know, I mean, this is, it's easy to kind of say it offhand like this, but I think this is such a big problem that there's got to be maybe, there's an opportunity for a startup here, at least for our services business. Mm. Esther? You. <laughs> we? Mark. <laughs> so, but, yeah. So, go ahead. Um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, I think at that point now, after sort of like, in between all that, you know, furor and all that, you know, dilemma and everything. I, I, I was, I was, I was like, I'm not, I'm not starting. <laughs> I'm done. No, I'm done. Uh, at least for that moment, you know, right. I was like really fed right. up. Exhausted. But I also want to understand what the bigger ecosystem looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, I want to immerse myself. I still want to be in this space, but mm -hmm. I just don't want to run a business. You don't want to run a business. Makes sense. Take a break. Yeah. You know, yeah, if you call it that. So yeah, and timing is always an interesting thing, right? Right. So. Um, the Aspen Network of Development Entrepreneurs, Andy, at the time, was looking to hire its second employee in East Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, so they put a call out and I looked through the job description and I was like, this is me. They needed somebody, <laughs> they needed somebody who was able to uh, create... Honestly, I just, I read it, I was like, 
hello <laughs> i'm here um yeah uh, sort of like uh, be able to reach out to different stakeholders uh, be able to you know sort of like so the networking piece the right. uh, building programs piece understanding local entrepreneurs and everything and sort of like being able to um, work with the intermediaries to sort of like strengthen their programs and connect them to entrepreneurs all the, all that mm-hmm. stuff it just sounded like me I, mm-hmm. and also because i was coming back from the entrepreneurial right. side i was like i would understand this and i would tell them exactly where <laughs> what the issues are but more than that i would understand who these intermediaries are understand the space a lot more and then also work to bring back that information because i felt and still do that there's a huge gap in information there's you know they talk, when we talk about challenges in in this market we talk about lack of capital talk about lack of market access and but for me information is number one yeah always key let me not say number one i don't like to hire yeah, so for things. example for us we are non-profit entity, we're doing some very, very important work, at least we think we are, and people keep telling us this, you know what our biggest challenge is? Where, who's, who cares about what we're doing? Because we know there's a lot of funds for mm. this work, yeah. but it's like, is there a website with a list <laughs> that says, we want to, there's no yeah. so you're right. Yeah. And even if you have a website, so like Andy, for instance, um, has a site with all its members and then you sort of like maps it out and shows you who are the capital providers, who are the capacity builders and everything. Not many people know that there's a site like that, for instance, right? You know, so it's just being able to figure out ways how you can be able to sort of like close that gap, right? Information gap, yeah. So yeah, so I applied for the job, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, was quickly shortlisted. Um, and I remember doing the interview because it's in the middle of all this drama with my lawyers, right? <laughs> and I'm having an interview. It's an online interview with the head office in uh, Washington, D.C., yeah, right? Yeah. And I couldn't help it. I kept bringing up, you know, like this, nah, 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 I've had these issues with this co-founder. And I kept bringing it. I couldn't help it. Like, I was still very emotional about the whole process. <laughs> and I, I was so certain I'd blown it. But turns out I showed passion. <laughs> so, so I showed a deep understanding of sort of like some of the things that I needed at the time, but I showed passion at, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, of course, I you know, uh, there were other things that they're looking for, and I think kind of ticked those boxes, I suppose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to mention that part because it was so hilarious to me. Because I remember going back and I was like, oh, oh God. Did you have to do that? <laughs> it is that emoji, the face palm, as in <laughs> that was me. <laughs> like, totally messed that up. But no, and then so I got the job. So I was a uh, uh, Andy East Africa program coordinator, uh, East Africa program coordinator, yeah. Um, and yeah, and I worked at the time with Mary Mongi, who was the chapter manager at the time. And, you know, I think the two of us, uh, you know, did great things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, able to bring on new members into the system, into the network. Um, and, but then I think the thing I did was learn a lot. For me, it was a steep learning curve, okay. figuring out who are the capacity builders in this market, who are the people who bring entrepreneurs and you know, grow their skills, yeah? who are the people who help them find talent, who are the people who help them find capital, who are the people who provide the different types of capital. Ooh, mm-hmm. I learned there's different types of capital. I learned there's, the, you know, there's the grants, there's impact capital, there's venture capital, there's private equity. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned there's a continuum of capital out there, and you need to figure out where you fit. There's angel money. Money, this. Right. Well, not so much. 
not so much <laughs> not in Kenya not not that much yet but yeah just being able to understand all of that and being able to immerse myself in the work of all these different intermediaries who are working hard to really build the ecosystem here in East Africa and that was a fantastic experience um when i was in this role um i think 18 months down the line um i got um, a request for me to apply to the east africa venture private equity venture capital association mm-hmm. um i should mention that in between those 18 months with andy i realized quickly that i want to i want to be on the fund side of things i want to understand what how capital is um, brought in uh, how it's deployed uh, what it's looking for you know and what the gaps are currently like i really i knew that already while i was at andy So when this call to make this application for the East Africa uh, Private Equity and Venture Capital Association came mm-hmm. um first of all they're looking for an executive executive director mm-hmm. and I, I was I was I was like okay <clears throat> this clearly puts me in the space where capital is at because mm-hmm. what it is it's an association with all these you know uh, private capital providers right mm-hmm. and I was like this is fantastic right mm-hmm. um but it was such a hard move because I was really enjoying the work yeah, I was doing with Andy. Right. And I I know that was probably one of the hardest decisions I had to make um to, you know even even the application itself and then when I got accepted um into the role um it was just really difficult you know as in I think I had I remember my ex- exit interview with uh, Randall Kempner who's the executive director of Andy. I, I, it was it was so like I'm sorry I'm leaving but I love you guys so much because of just how much I'd learned and grown with them it's a fantastic team with you know offices in all the markets all the emerging markets um, across the world you know so much work they do and I just but, but I had to leave um the the opportunity opportunity had come and I just couldn't leave behind um so that's how I found myself at uh, EAVCA Awesome. And yeah. EAVCA was forming at the time No EAVCA had been formed um in I think it was four years prior to that, three years prior to that. Okay. Um, so the story now, now I can tell you the story about the ABCA. So ABCA was formed... Let's, let's have what you do and then maybe the history. No, the history will inform you okay. what we do. Awesome. <laughs> you know better than I do. Yeah. yeah. So in uh, 2012, 2013, seven private equity firms who had been active in East Africa could see that there was a lot more interest in this region but there wasn't enough an awareness of what private equity or venture capital is mm-hmm. both on the public sector and in the private sector so mm-hmm. the public sector you know the policy makers are like who are these people how can we regulate them <laughs> you know <laughs> or oh what are, like what what is this capital where is it coming from you know what's going on here right. private sector you know not enough businesses are aware of you know private equity you know what do you want with my business exactly. <laughs> you know <laughs> you know we're african so we, we, we you know we are well women welcoming but we need to Four know points. who are you first when it when it comes to my <laughs> who are you first <laughs> explain <laughs> yourself right okay and that's not true for everybody but there was a sort of like you know an area sort of a group of you know businesses or a section of private sector still needed to understand that so for the need of that awareness these seven private equity firms came together self organized and the EAVCA was born yeah so some of these firms you know them you know like african invest actis you know catalyst fanisi capital those guys right okay. um, came and, together and so the goal was to educate the, yeah the primary goal is to raise awareness on private equities and asset class in okay. this market right um and you know and then sort of like created the four pillars on how we do that right mm-hmm. so we have advocacy 
where we do a lot of work with the public sector, with policymakers, regulators, um, you know, so like creating those relationships and making sure that they understand and create an enabling environment mm -hmm. for the membership. Mm -hmm. um, then there's, uh, and so, we, so we work with you know, all the regulators, so Competi Competition Authority of Kenya, yeah, the Retirement Benefits Authority, because of the mobilizing local uh, capital piece. Mm -hmm. uh, basically anybody who sort of like um, interfaces or re uh, has relations with our, any of our members or the deals that they're doing in this market, right? Mm -hmm. um, then there's um, training where we are, our mandate is to really bring up the the knowledge and the capacity level of practitioners in the industry. So we have a lot of like basically classes <laughs> running across the year, um, all the way from the junior level to senior level. So classes about what? It could be about anything. So like every first quarter we have what we call the professional development program where um, junior practitioners in the field, in the industry, come to you know build their skills and their knowledge on everything from deal origination to due diligence to legals, basically the entire spectrum of right. doing a deal, right? right? Up until exits. The process of investing private money into a company. Yes. Right? That's what we're yeah. talking about. Essentially, there is some, there's, there's, a, there's a set of things that you need to do to know, to be aware of, yeah. skills you have to develop. Skills you have to develop, processes that you need to know about and how to get, go about them. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we don't do it um, textbook style, right? Because most of these analysts or associates in these firms or even the ones in the advisory firm, maybe, you know, like the big four or whatever it is, mm -hmm. probably have gone to some business school somewhere. Right. So they know the textbook stuff. Right. What we do is we use local experts, okay. you know, uh, local experts. So like, you know, the head of I won't mention firms here, would come and do a session on commercial due diligence because what you learn in Wharton or Harvard or whatever it is, is not what you're going to do here in Nairobi, right? <laughs> so it's the basis, it's like the base, but then what is the practical way of having an effective commercial DD done on a company in East Africa, for instance? So we have all these high-level people who've been doing this for 20 years, 30 years in this region and are extremely proficient in this come to run those sessions um, for you know the junior, mid-level um, practitioners practitioners here. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the trainings for the more junior guys. We have things even for the more senior um, uh, industry players, uh, so things around negotiations where we bring in trainers from around the world to tra take them across negotiation. You know, it's a key skill that you need to keep, keep, you need to keep honing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or we did one recently, uh, we'll have a series of them around um, director performance on boards because every time they make a deal, you know, they get a seat on the board. Um, the people you put on those boards, as you do, as your portfolio becomes bigger and bigger, you know, more of your team sits on these different boards. Are they equipped to be effective? Oh, they just have um, yeah, warm yeah, you know, body. Yeah, we need some proper, you know, high performance in this and participation in this board. So we need to create, build those skills in everybody in this firm who are under our so membership. How, so, so that's an interesting one because some of the, what are the skills that will make you a good board member, for example? Um, hmm. Come for the training. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do know, but yeah. I'm just, yeah, well, I mean, I feel like... So there's all the things that you need to be able to understand, yeah? So there's all the, like, the technical skills, like how you'll be able to understand financials and everything, but then also being able to, how do you relate to the other, so the softer skills, how do you relate to, how do you relate to the management, how do you solve conflict? Remember we talked about boards earlier. Mm -hmm. So there's very many levels to it. Actually, the partner we... We do this training with, uh, the firm is called Sirdar. They sit out of South Africa. Um, they have an 11-month program. And so what we try to do is condense that um, 
to bits and <laughs> to bite sizes because yeah, yeah, um, you know, every week you do XYZ hours and whatever it is, right? But then we've partnered with them to give bite-sized workshops um, just for those people who can't. Video thing I can watch. I mean, like, what's that's feedback for them? So I'll show them this video. (laughs) Do I need to sit for months? Yeah. You know. No, no, no. But then you know, also there's 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 a value in you know why conversation back and forth. Yeah, because you're not doing the training on your own. You're in a room of maybe fifteen other directors who are sitting on different types of boards. You're able to bring up issues that people are facing. Makes sense. Yeah. It's almost like an MBA program. Exactly, yeah. So we have all sorts of trainings. We have trainings looking at, so we've had all these tech deals in tech that have happened over the past five years. That means we're going to be seeing exits coming soon. How do you prepare for exits in this market, in a market that has not had uh, exits in tech? Are you going to have exits coming soon? I'm very positive that we will How soon is soon? Uh, Well, that's relative. (laughs) (laughs) Our lifetime? No, but what are are people saying are the paths to exits, right? Is it private equity, later stage funds? So in this market, what we see a lot of is, um, so, you know, buyouts from, you know, bigger funds coming in. Um, you know, so secondaries basically um, is, I think, the lead, uh, and strategics as well. Okay, so yeah, it still needs to kind of develop that. Right? Yeah, it's it's such a nascent market. It's still so early on in you know the grand scheme of things. If you compare ourselves to even South Africa, you know, like Kenya, East Africa, it was still really early in that sort of like growth path. Right. And so there's there's this other kind of uh, I don't know what you, what you would call it, but there's a public market thing that was created called what was it called uh to absorb some of these tech companies and and and, and take them quote unquote public there was something that was created. is it the gems market is that right? yeah what, do, are you, so yeah, no, so yeah, so the stock exchange, um, different uh, institutions, um, regulators are really trying to, you know, build yeah, up right. our capital markets basically, right? right? There's a new initiatives that are, I think it's still too early to sort of like make any claims or whatever it is. They still need to finesse a lot of things and also really communicate and articulate the, the value and the incentive to sort of like list on the gems market, for instance, Has right? Is it is it up and running? Like if somebody I, wanted... I think we have a few, maybe a handful, maybe. Really? Um, yeah, I don't I don't have this exact stats on that, but I'm not ready to write them off at the moment. I still think yet, you know, early the days. things that we, yeah, it's early days, yeah. You know, there's actually it's interesting. There's actually uh, an initiative similar to this that is happening in, in, in Silicon Valley. Where okay. They're trying to give an alternative path to a public listing in that part of the Okay. Now, I, I just remember reading about it. I don't know the specifics, but it's just interesting to note that there is a precedent, mm. even in mature markets, where they're like, yeah, this traditional listing in the New York stock market is not enough mm. for tech companies and so on and so forth. So I guess maybe the I guess point there is everybody is evolving. Yeah. Even the mature markets are evolving. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we are kind of, I guess that says we're on, on the right track. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, so... Of course, any thing with early stage days um, is there'll be a lot of mistakes. You know, there'll be a lot of. I'm scared to say failure because you'll say that's the end. <laughs> but, or fails. Oh, but to take your words, that will be a lot of learning and growth. So yeah, we, we, I'm yet. I'm really positive about this market. I think, you know, there'll be a lot of mistakes done and things like that. But I think also the fact that this. 
the willingness and the initiative from the public sector to create institutions just like that, uh, platforms like that, I think that's a great first step. A great first step. Yeah. yeah. Something had to happen and something needs to continue happening. Yeah. So why should, if I was just to net it out, right, like why should an entrepreneur, right, listening to this, care about what EAVCA is doing, right? Relate this to somebody who's, who's an entrepreneur, somebody who's trying to build a business here locally, you know, why, why should they get excited or even care about you guys? Yeah, at the heart of what we're doing is we're trying to, we work to, not even trying, I think we're successfully working to, yeah. um, make East Africa, um, you know, visible as a prime destination for capital, right? Okay. Um, so, you know, we have a lot more, and you've seen over the past three, four years, we have a lot more entries with regards to fund managers in this market and diversified kinds of funds in this market uh, increasingly. While initially we had a lot of firms that would do much bigger deals, um, you know, very traditional sort of like private equity firms. Now we're seeing, you know, all these um, early stage, well, not, I wouldn't say all these, but an increased number yeah, of, um, a growing number of, you know, stage, early stage, um, you know, early VC, late VC, you know, it, it, you know, there's a whole sort of like variety of capital coming in. Right. That's one. Two, we are working every day to mobilize local capital because right currently um, private equity and venture capital is underpinned by foreign capital, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So more than 80% of the capital comes from either North America or Europe, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, yet we have evidence that there's pools of capital here locally that can also be, you know, sort of like drawn into um, private equity and venture capital. So right? talk about where, where those pools of a big one that we've been working on um, is um, pension funds here locally. So assets under management uh, for pension funds in East Africa is at about 11, 12 billion dollars, right? Um, that's the total AUM. So that's actually and money that's being held by pension funds right now, obviously. Yeah, invested into different, um, you know, asset classes and things. Um, but then, and then we, three, four years ago, in 2015, regulation um, was introduced where up to 10% of AUM can go into private equity and venture capital. Regulation um, mandating or allowing? Allowing, yeah. Creating an opening for that to happen. Exactly. So if you look at it, so if you have about $12 billion um, AUM, uh, you know, up to $1.2 billion can go into private equity and venture capital. So this, um, you know, regulation came in in 2015. Uh, and so what we saw, and at the point, I think we had only three pension funds that had put some money in private equity, right? And who are these? I think I know one, but... Yeah, do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> so, can, you, can you share or can you not share? Uh, what I'll do is I'll share a report where you can sort of okay. like look at all these stats, right? right? right, right. That's great. Um, yeah. I, I never try to mention companies or organizations by name. Why? Because then if you miss one, the other one will always... The one you miss will always come and say... You didn't say my name. Yes. <laughs> You know, uh, right. I don't Fair want, enough. I'm Fair trying enough. to reduce uh, error. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've learned. You have to be. I've <laughs> so, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, um, so, and what we've seen is that, up, you know, the last time we, the last um, survey we did, um, which was end of, um, which was end of last year, 2018, we had 23 pension funds who had said they're interested in private equity and 15 who had actually written, committed on paper that they would be investing into private equity. So that is a marked growth, that's right? And this and that's, is... That's going from... From, just from 0. 0, 0. 0.0... 0. 0.0016 
something like that, or president. AUM yeah. Was targeted to, to wow. was, that had already so been and has grown to no, don't say that. There was money to 0.08. So we and now <laughs> it's growing. <laughs> it's really great. That was at the end of last year, but then you know, if we by the end of this year, I'm sure we'll have uh, better statistics with regards to show the, the growth that has happened. So, you, so, so your work is definitely yielding results. I'm it is re- yielding excited. results, and I want to even mention a few other things that we've done in yeah. between. Um, so over the past year, for yeah. instance, mm-hmm. um, one we did um, a, a report called the Alpha Market Report um, that looks at private equity as an asset class, um, benchmarking, but benchmarking it against um, four other uh, asset classes. Mm-hmm. You know, real estate, fixed income. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, public equities, etc. And you know, um, because then, you know, it was it became a uh, a challenge. You know, to, you know, asking people to stop because currently pension funds put uh, most of their um, investments into public equities, uh, government paper, you know, things like that. Very safe. Very safe. Yeah, and it makes sense. Right? Yeah, totally. it makes sense. Shit. Because, it's pension funds. It's people in yeah, time. Exactly. Then you're telling them now we want you to do alternative assets. You know, private equity. Raise the data, you know, they want to know how are you performing, perform. yeah, what's the track record. So we mm-hmm. were able to do a report, you know, just to be able to show them over the past 10 years, over the past five years, the performance, you know, and show them against the other asset classes, which is, you know, a That's really awesome. good tool. Do you, have, do you have that? It's publicly available. That's great. Yeah. So all, all our research is publicly available on yeah. our website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, then being able to sort of like show that, because if you think about it, private equity is, let's say, you know, it's younger than 20 years in this, in this market, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about uh, a teenager who, you know, we've seen their potential, but we're not really sure about what, you know, they can mm-hmm. really do. Mm-hmm. So we, are, we were able to really draw, it, you know, from our membership, they give us the data to show, you know, who have they invested in, what are the returns they've gotten over the, you know, some of our members are in the second, third mm-hmm. funds right now. So, you know, we'll be able to show, show the growth across the different funds. Right. And that was really key. And now we can use that as a tool out there to really, you know, um, champion for private equity as an asset class. Yeah. That's one thing. The other thing we did is we partnered up with IFC and FSD Africa to create a curriculum to educate the trustees of these pension funds. Because who's making the decisions onto mm. sort of like what asset classes they're in, investing in, right? It's these trustees who are not extremely familiar with the mm-hmm. private equity, right? Mm-hmm. So we created, and no, we, we um, resourced and got um, Riscura to help us create a curriculum. So a series of workshops where they come and they learn about private equity and how do they assess GPs and how do, you know, the whole shebang, really. Mm. Um, and they've been doing this over the past year. And then we created a toolkit, or more like an investment guide, um, that they can actually use um, when you know, sort of like assessing um, opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. So, and we launched this last month. So, and so these are the initiatives that we're doing as EVC to mobilize local capital, and that, that is, I think, really exciting. And I think from now we just expect to see a lot more going into, um, yeah, the asset class. That's that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's wonderful. I think I'll add one more thing that you can you can share with. Those uh, what do you call them? Trustees. Yeah. Uh, there's this podcast called Origins mm. out of uh, New York, and it's a fund manager, and they their guests are LPs, right? Equivalent to those trustees, mm. and they talk about how they think about uh, deploying their pension capital, right? Being LPs to, to fund managers, so it's yeah. very very educational. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of technical stuff, there's a lot of kind of soft stuff, there's a lot of kind of useful information that 
you know, if people can just continue to educate that audience. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was super helpful for me when I was actually uh, learning about that space. So okay. yeah, Origins, check it out. Okay, sure. Um, but, you know, I, I, I guess I, one of the things that I always try and uh, make sure people have is takeaways. Um, and if you are to just kind of give our audience some takeaways, that uh, some lessons learned, takeaways they can have from your entrepreneurial experience and what EAVCA is doing, and maybe the future of where we're going as an ecosystem. Maybe maybe those three things that they can they can uh, take away from the conversation. Oh, that's a hard one. So I will skip the personal part. I'll say reach out to me. I'm happy to share anything. Uh, but with regards to EAVCA, they just you know there's a lot that we're doing on a daily basis, working with people institutions on the ground, but also the global environment, just to make sure that the, you know, East Africa has a, a voice and is visible out there. So they need to keep doing what they're doing, um, not, not giving up. There's more capital out there, um, regardless of you know, what is happening in the traditional financing sector, you know, in this alternative space. There's, um, there's capital that's available out there. Um, there's mistakes that have been made, but are being corrected. So I think this is a really good time to like, really research and find out know what capital is available what is relevant for me this is actually so for my personal takeaway i guess yeah what capital is available what other institutions do i need to reach out to who can sort of like lay that for me right how well would they get this research so you remember you were saying information is hard to come by yeah where do i start EAVCA, i would say start with us <laughs> yeah <laughs> start with us mm-hmm. um go to andy as well okay. um i have a lot of resources and a lot of information mm-hmm. um but also the you know incubators and accelerators out there um, are working hard to sort of like also collect their own data and create relationships with the different um, you know funders and things like that. So they can come talk to you, for instance. I know you're incubating um, as well ideas and people here. Yeah. So actually, this is important. Um, mm. We have found in <laughs> we've been super successful in doing our podcast. So people think we just do podcasts. So I'm going to ask you, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> this is an opportunity for you to give back. Oh my goodness. Um, and why do you think it's different? Why am I being put on the spot again? Because <laughs> you're smart and awesome. <laughs> I think in one sentence, in a nutshell, what um, Impact Africa is doing is you create um, a platform where you know young potential entrepreneurs can come in and learn a lot of skills and prepare them for a journey either in entrepreneurship or so build their own entrepreneurship enter, <laughs> enterprises entrepreneurship enterprises or you know work for a startup or business SME out there um, and how you do this is giving them opportunities to get, create projects that could turn into a business. I'm sorry, I'm terrible. That's, that's, actually, that's pretty, that's pretty so, I'm terrible at this. I'm going to be pretty Because let's be honest, the first time you asked me what you do, I talked about the podcast as well. Podcast. Yeah. People must think I'm such a, I don't know. I'm such a Which is not a bad person. thing. Which is no. not a bad thing. Like, Can I tell you, by the way? You can live on a podcast. Hello? I, I have people out there who think I, I host story nights. Because if, if you don't know about this, I am also the founder of Hadithi Njo, which is a, a regular storytelling event. Right. There are people out there who think that's all I do. I just host nights where people come and tell stories and then go. 
So I would urge you now to tell the audience okay. what you do. Yeah. Right. And I'm going to be doing this all the time. I'm going okay. to be please do. So basically, what? And please don't put your guests on the spot. <laughs> they need to know what we do, goddammit. <laughs> so basically, what we do is, is we, we provide an environment where young talent can approach the startup entrepreneurship, the digital transformation of Africa, is what I call it. There's a big gap between I'm coming out of campus. And I, I'm technical, or I'm interested in innovation. You, when you're coming out of what, what you're doing, like your experience, with that, and being able to start a company. Mm. Oh my God, forget a company. Being able to start the process of investigating whether an idea will work, because that's the whole thing, right? Uh, there's a big gap there. Uh, lack of boots. It's just bootstrapping capacity, money, expertise, somebody to work with, a place to go, all that stuff. All right. So fundamentally what we do is we say, I think there has been an over uh, elevation of the entrepreneur as this sole, intrepid, all-knowing, ready to take on the world mm. kind of human being or know, superpower, right? But that's not how success happens. That's not how companies are built. Mm -hmm. Companies are built with teams of people. And companies are built by people who know what to do, right? Generally speaking. And so we provide an environment where people can, young people can, coming out of campus can come in and work on projects. Mm -hmm. What's a project? Project is a, I don't like to call it an idea, it's an insight. We look to develop insights. And we just look to say, okay, where is there a market opportunity to build something into? Mm -hmm. right? I think in Africa, we still have the luxury to build very obvious things, in a sense, right? Because nobody has been serving us with technology for a long time. We've been a very much an afterthought. So basically, we say, okay, fine, let's look at where there should be a company being built. And it's not a very abstract, unproven market. Mm. So that's how we think about that. Of course, we keep an opening for ideas that have not been done yet. But at the end of the day, it's like stitching together the digital infrastructure that will make the Africa we run on. Um, and so basically, that's what we do. We okay. with project teams, work on ideas. It's not their ideas per se. It's about the execution process. Mm -hmm. And it's about teaching people how to walk through that in a systematic way. Providing cover, so we're not trying to, uh, we, we, we take the mental models that already exist. People coming out of campus will look for an internship. Okay, so we make it an internship, mm -hmm. right? We're structured as a nonprofit because we're looking to bootstrap the zero to what I would say one. We give people 12 month internships. Mm -hmm. We give projects 12 months to live. And we just work on getting to traction. And what comes out on the other side, you're right spot on, is two things. One is much more, say, uh, 21st century hardened young professionals. Mm -hmm. I've been through this process. I know how to think systems-wise. I know how to ask the right questions about something. I know how to be uh, scientific in my approach, mm -hmm. right, and, and kind of very pragmatic in making decisions. All those skills yeah. that you gain over time, we squeeze them into that time mm -hmm. because now you're, really, you're working on real-world things that have potential to be a thing. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that comes out on the other side is fundamentally sound <clears throat> early stage startups. Mm. Because you and I know the reason why startups become uninvestable or unattractive to investors or capital is because they've, had, they've made some wrong decisions, right? Because they had to, because they had to survive. All these kind of things, they didn't put the right structures in place because they didn't know. Mm. Maybe they and their co-founder are kind of in this weird place, conflict-wise, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the fundamentals that make a business viable, right? Yeah. And so we eliminate all that mucky muck 
in that gap. Mm. And so, yeah, you could call us an incubator. We incubate talent. We incubate, we, we incubate projects. Mm. And it's not so much about your idea. It's about execution. And that's where, where I believe uh, is, is a significant missing link in terms of unlocking the pipeline of opportunity. And that, in a nutshell, is Impact Africa. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming. It's, yeah, thank it's, you. Thank you. Very insightful inf information. Um, I didn't know so many things about you. And that's why we do a podcast, because you always learn about people and things. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> All right.